You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. The Hunting Collective is presented by Element. I guess I grew up on an older road. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Hunting Collective. I'm, of course, Benjamin Patrick O'Brien, and I'm joined by Philip T. Engineer. Say hello, Philip. Hello, Ben. How are you? I don't know. Do you think episode numbers matter? Because I always struggle to remember them. Uh, I think it's I think it's fun to to list it off every week. It's kind of like it's kind of like writing a little tally on your prison wall. Just one every yeah. day. Pretty pretty soon, it starts to look pretty impressive when they stack up. Yeah, we've been here a long time, a long long time. I remember back in 2018. I remember those days. Um, we have an, a, a, a special guest here joining us, but Phil was a little bit. Uh, he was just a little bit verklempt by this. Like he just didn't know what to do. Um, he didn't want this person to join us. I think it's because of our connection, and we'll, we'll learn why in a minute. But Phil, um, before we bring this gentleman on, do you are you upset? Are you, are you okay? Have no, you, I was you figured out your emotions. <laughs> You're definitely <laughs> stretching the truth a, a little bit here. I you, you said, not. "Hey, is this is this person joining us?" Or like, should we wait for them? And I said, well, "Who are you talking about?" I just I didn't read the calendar invite, and I didn't know anyone else was coming, so I was a little taken aback. And then I thought about it. I was like, well, this this intro is 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 the kind of one on one time for us to catch up, and it's a, it's, a, it's it's our special little moment every week, and uh, we have someone else here today. Yeah, uh, and that's Ford Van Fossen of the Van Fossens, of the Trap Van Fossens of the Eastern Shore of Maryland. Say hello, Ford. Howdy, y'all. How are you doing? Now you're you're in Ketchum. You work for First Light, but you are of Maryland. You are of a Maryland stock. I am a proud Marylander. It's an important part of my identity, as and I now, think anyone around you can can tell me here. You aren't wearing. You said you were going to bring like Maryland boxers and different things like that, but you have you have uh, not done that. Well, as you began the show just then, I, I was thinking about running to get my old bay and to put it on the uh, squadcast screen here. Um, yeah. Maybe a flag in the background. 
as much as much red uh red yellow and gold as i could get in here yeah well we're gonna start a segment called talk in maryland and it's only when you come on that we're gonna do it and i've done a little research as to uh famous people from maryland do you have any do you know any famous people that you know that are from maryland like people that you're proud of to say man they're from maryland too um besides ben o'brien yeah i wasn't on the list in wikipedia so fuck them but i mean you know moving on is there anybody is there anybody sports like the people you idolize that are from maryland you know i got i mean historically we've got two right from around me uh harriet tubman slightly to the south and uh and uh, Frederick Douglass, also from yeah. Talbot County, same county as me. Those those are kind of two, I feel like personal heroes that come right to mind. Yeah, Less of a sports guy. List. I'm trying to think of like Cal Ripken, obviously, kind of universal. Easy. Although I don't even know if he's from Maryland, to be honest. Dude, um, uh, he is. Uh, you're blowing my research. I only have like four people left on the list that I made. <laughs> <laughs> Did I already hit three of them? <laughs> yeah, I already hit three of the seven people on my list. Um, did you know that Cisco was, we're getting to the bottom of the barrel here, but Cisco, author of the Thong song, also from Maryland. Did you know that? Makes me proud. Yep. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, also from right. Maryland. I did uh, know that. That's a more mixed. Good, yeah. Mixed, good I friend think that's of the show. A polarizing figure. Yeah, exactly. She's been on a bunch, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, a real friend of the show, David Hasselhoff, who's been on, uh, he was from Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's been, been on. <laughs> he's been on. Um, yeah, of course, Kyrifin Jr., Michael Phelps. We all know Michael Phelps. Yep. And then yep. Um, yep. John Wilkes Booth. John Wilkes Booth Less, is from Maryland. Also a polarizing figure. I think we can just call him a <laughs> negative figure. Yeah, I would say not, you know, weather. Conspiracy theories aside, not great. Um, and then closing it off with actor William H. Macy, who's, who I think is from Cumberland, Maryland, which is close to where I grew up hunting. I always there heard that story. Um, I'm not checking, double checking any of these. I believe in Wikipedia. But anyway, Maryland is really turns out some of the greatest Americans. Uh, Phil, would you agree based on this list? I mean, based on Cisco and William H. Macy alone. I mean, I'm I'm sold. Fargo. I mean, come on, man. He's in Fargo, right? Don't yeah, we? I, don't we have Edgar Allan Poe too? Yeah, but I feel like people know that. You feel like people know that. Well, Maybe just not. the Ravens, right? That's why Ravens. we have the football team, the Ravens, is, you know, quote the Raven, I think. Quote the Raven, yeah. And the, the mascot is Poe, yeah. I mean, then his his grave, I feel like, is right there by the stadium, a couple blocks mm-hmm. north of the stadium. Um, so, yeah, all that stuff. Now, this is a part of the – is this entertaining to you, Phil, that you, you don't – you're not from Maryland. I don't even know where you're from. I think, like, California or something, Canada. Nope. Um, Didn't <laughs> <laughs> California or Canada, <laughs> whatever. Some other country, one of those two. Um, but is this entertaining to you as a regional as a regional segment? I, it is because I know absolutely nothing about Maryland aside from Edgar Allan Poe and Cal Ripken Jr. So uh, you know, great. I'm, I'm learning great. a lot today. Honestly, great. I wouldn't awesome. blame you there, Phil. It's it's sort of Maryland. I feel like is a it's a very small place, but Marylanders. Uh, such as Ben and myself are very proud of it and uh, yeah. like to talk about it a lot. Um, though most people seem to associate it as something just outside uh, Washington D.C. Yeah, uh, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. Well, they call it America in miniature because, as as 
we're you know florida and i grew up on different sides of the tracks you grew up on the eastern shore i grew up in western maryland which is basically eastern west virginia southern pennsylvania so we but but they call it american miniature because it has this, all this top topography that goes from mountains where i grew up all the way to beautiful beaches like the ones in my favorite town uh, Ocean City. Have you ever been to Ocean City? <laughs> or, of course I've been to Ocean City. It's a serious City. question. Why are you laughing? It's a serious question. Oh, <laughs> it's just a place, man. It is a place. Did you ever have a senior week in high school? <laughs> you know, that was that was huge. Uh, but I did not actually partake, unfortunately. Should I did, I and I, regret that. I, got ki- I, I got kicked out of two different hotels. <laughs> and I'll tell this story. My dad will like this story. I got a, a series of traffic tickets when I was like 18. Um, you, know, I was, I, you know, I was driving fast. And my dad, being the lovely man that he is, drove me down to senior week, and I had a court date for those traffic tickets in the middle of senior week. He picked me up in the middle of the drunken debauchery that was senior week, drove me back an hour and a half to go to court, and then drove me back and dropped me off at senior week uh, in the middle of Ocean City. So, yeah, I don't know why I told that story, but uh, now you guys know a little more about me. And so that's my favorite town. Do you have a favorite town? And we were just talking about Chestertown. You, would that qualify oh, yeah. as your favorite town? Old Chestertown's definitely high on the list. Man, I got a, I mean, a lot of, there's just a lot of great little towns on the Eastern Shore. Um, and in Maryland oh. throughout, but really, honestly, man, I haven't spent much time in uh, in your neck of the woods. To be honest, we did a, a middle school ski trip to Wisp, which is like oh, yeah. way out in sort of the little triangle of Western Maryland, and I that could be the only time I've really been out there. To be honest, but yeah, it is I mean, to if, your point a whole different world. If Maryland was like a pan, I lived in the handle. And I feel like you lived on the, you know, the end, the very end, the other side of it, on the other side of oh, yeah. the, uh, the surface there. Uh, and to your point, I think analogy. culturally quite different. You know, t- Western Maryland trends more West Virginia, Northern Virginia, Western PA, whereas would say the Eastern Shore kind of trends more coastal Virginia, almost Carolina, I feel like. Different languages, uh, different accents, yeah, different, <laughs> ang- different accents. United um, though by Wooder, certainly. Of right? course, of course, yeah, of course. Yeah. Now, a couple things. We went through place. Favorite, my favorite thing. Well, my favorite beer growing up was Yingling <laughs> and Natty Bo, natural Bohemian. Mm-hmm. Did you have? Was there like a different thing over there where you were from? Well, I, the only one I would add to that list is the ten ounce Budweiser, right? The tenner. Yeah. Yep. The tenner, um, which is a Maryland tradition of. To me, at least, completely obscure origins. <laughs> but in Maryland, <laughs> no. at least on the Eastern Shore, you can buy 10-ounce Budweiser's. Um, I believe they figured that there's now a premium on just the fact that they're 10 ounces, and they may not even be cheaper than 12-ounce Budweiser's. Uh, but yeah. that was certainly a thing. You would alternate between Tenors and National Bohemian Lager. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Generally, and, and, if you wanted to get real Maryland. And... I also would say, like in my in my experience of Bud Light, it's not the ounces that you're drinking that matter. It's you know really, it's like one or two ounces ain't gonna get, make you feel any better. You've got a, <laughs> it's like a half dozen tenors that's gonna get you there. So I don't know I, why we we 
or quabbling yeah, at a certain outside. I, I I don't I don't know what the logic was. The the excuse commonly growing up was that they stayed colder longer, which is I guess really not true. It's just that there's less beer uh, uh, to get warm. This, but this is true. All right. Well, before we get to our before we get to our regular program, Phil. I'm just I track how the show's going by Phil's face and he's flipping a pen around. He's <laughs> like leaning back myself. in his chair. Like he does not see I was looking out like, the window because the, the FedEx just came and dropped the package off at my door. So I'm, I was trying to remember what it could be. I have no idea. It's a, it's exciting times. December is thrilling because packages just show uh, up and you don't know what you ordered. I, I don't know. That's a good segue. We got some good stuff coming up, including THC robes uh, and Sam Sohol of the Public Land Bus. Um, so. Before we do anything else, though, Old Bay, where where do you stand? Out? <laughs> I'm this supportive is, I, of I, Old Bay in a way that, like, I you know, I've never had a crab, I've never had a, a blue crab that didn't that wasn't smothered in Old Bay. Have you? Like, why would uh, you do I, that? Well, I'm sure I've consumed quite a bit of Jo's spice yeah. crabs um, in my true. life. Jo's being um, for probably everyone else in the world besides Ben and I right now sort of a rival uh, traditional Chesapeake seasoning that you would put on steamed blue crabs. Um, That's true. But I honestly don't buy into sort of the hipster J.O.'s um, purist Boom. mentality. I do love Old Bay, and, and I have never steamed crabs with anything else that I'm aware of. Yeah, I mean, it, do you feel like Old Bay's kind of jumped the shark? Uh, it's gotten too popular. We need to dial it back. Because just, what does something... jump the shark mean? Just to stop you for a second, <laughs> it just means uh, too popular, too trendy. No, 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 that's not that's not what it means. <laughs> What's it mean? That's what it means. It's, I'm it's looking a, it up. It's a reference to a Happy Days episode where the show ran so long that they ran out of ideas, and the Fonz went water skiing and jumped over a shark. Because, and, and that's how you know that, like, all right, they went too far. They don't know what they're doing anymore. It jumped the uh, shark. It, it went crazy. Well, <laughs> color me wrong. Yeah, reach a point at which far-fetched events are included merely for the sake of novelty, <laughs> indicative of a decline in quality. That was pretty close. No, I wasn't. No, that was way <laughs> wrong. We're going to cut this out. Phil will cut this out to make me look smart. Uh, all right, well, that ruins the whole, whole base segment, Phil. Thanks for that. You ruined everything. <laughs> hey, I'm pretty sure I, t- I, I I just taught you something about the of late late season Happy Days trivia. Uh, so so you're what, what would be the right term for something that's too trendy? That is that's off trend. Yeah, I, I I don't have anything. See, see, yeah, we we'll go back to jump the shark. That's I can as tell you what we it's got not, though. <laughs> well, it's not helpful. Um, all right, Ford. Are we? Do you feel like there's anything else, Maryland, that we missed? Because this is really our only chance to to do this. I know, and and it just it feels indulgent. I'd like to talk to you about Maryland all day long, but again, probably ninety percent of your listeners, probably more than ninety percent of your listeners, uh, have no interest in Maryland, have never been to Maryland, uh, and so I guess I should I I will say no. I don't have anything else to to put forward. Yeah, besides that, it's an, an excellent state that I'm a proud proud native of. Yeah, I mean, if people that listen to this don't think most of it is indulgent for me or Phil, then <laughs> they haven't been paying attention. We're not doing this for you. We're doing this for us. Uh, all right, moving on. Phil, do you have a you have a, a bag of popcorn there you can hold up? I do. Speaking of uh, different states, this I got a package. We got a package from Nebraska last week, Ben. Mm. Yes. Um, I'll hold up this bag of popcorn. You can kind of explain what's happening here. 
There's a picture. It's, it's a, a beautiful bag of popcorn. I've never had my picture in a bag of popcorn. Luke and Lisa let the adventure begin, and there's a picture of. I would assume that's Luke and Lisa. I yeah, that's a safe. It's a safe bet. <laughs> All right, and they're and they're they're nuzzling each other. They're like nosing each other. They're on that on it. Is it what's it say below that? The ingredients. What's the message below? Oh, that's just the the company that made the popcorn. Oh, okay, so nothing else of value there. <laughs> Shout out okay. to Colby Ridge Popcorn and Gifts out of Lincoln, mm. Nebraska. Mm. Head over there for all of your personalized popcorn needs. Yeah, I mean, it is. is this, if it, Is this the point where we reached the shark now? Nope. I think Ben's, Ben's got a point. <laughs> Ben's going somewhere. <laughs> We've lost it. No, that is, so that is a photo of the two people nuzzling there with their noses. That is Luke and Lisa Reeve. <laughs> Luke and Lisa Reeves. Now, We've we've had a lot of we've been talking recently. A lot of listeners of the show uh, find different ways to engage in THC, but I think Luke and Lisa found a real way to engage in THC by getting engaged. And it would have been how long ago was this, Phil? You have a better memory. Than Man, me. I don't remember. Like, like earlier this year, though, was right? it? Was it? It was pre-pandemic for sure. For sure. I don't remember so if maybe, it was last, last, if, if it was 2019 or early 2020, but... Yeah, between 12 and 20 months ago. Um, Luke Reeves, a listener of the program, wrote me a Instagram DM and said, Hey, man, I'm about to try to propose to my lady friend. What should I do? And then I immediately gave him some elaborate advice. Some of the best... He said later, uh, he never said this publicly, but to me privately, there's the best advice he's ever received. And then he went and used that advice to propose to his lady friend, Lisa. And um, judging by the popcorn, she said yes, right, Phil? They got married uh, this uh, last week, a couple weeks ago, on November 21st. Congratulations. Everybody, you have to clap for that. I mean, come on. A THC wedding. We had a, last week, we had a THC pie, and now we have a THC wedding. Um, they came on the show about six, eight months ago, prior to the pandemic, and we talked about everything but you have what showed up to the office was a package of, of gifts was there a note or anything like that in there phil uh well they sent us uh, a wedding what, what's this called the little pamphlet the program wedding program mm. uh and they also sent some personalized beer koozies Fucking beautiful man look at beautiful. that let the adventure begin they sent a lot uh, I talked to have kids. I, <laughs> I don't have kids. <laughs> I talked to Luke on Instagram. I'm supposed to pass one of these on to Spencer Newharth because uh, Luke knows that he likes to drink a lot of beer. So remind me to in do the that. hot tub. In the hot yeah, tub. Yeah, that's right. Uh, every every morning in the hot tub. He sent me um, an email too. Luke sent me an email. I'll read it to you. Phil, okay, I know go this, ahead. Don't don't try not to cry. Uh, well, we actually did it. We finally tied the knot. It seems like 400 years ago when I was first sliding into Ben's DMs to ask for some advice on proposing to a woman who was so far out of my league that my league plays our games during the halftime of her league games. Damn it, if that advice didn't work low, and here we are sitting in our first home together listening to episode 153 as man and wife no longer living in sin. Once again, gentlemen, I have to thank you. I've been forming this strange kind of friendship where I can send Phil cat memes and comment on Ben's stories and know that I've actually had conversations with both of you. I've also formed the same kind of friendship with the man, the myth, the legend, the American dream, Eric Hall. I've sent a fairly large package. Thank you. Gift to the media offices. Hopefully you can share them with everyone else. Thanks again, Luke and Lisa Light. He said, love always and forever. Luke Reeves. 
Unbelievable. Ford, as, as, a, as a newcomer, what, I mean, does this feel strange to you? Does this feel appropriate? What yeah, a lot of questions. A lot of questions come to mind. <laughs> Principally, ah. how often do you get requests for marital advice on a, you know, what I would call a hunting-themed podcast? It seemed like mm. there was no connection to hunting in his question, just sort of, how do I propose mm. to my girlfriend then? No, I, I just I, elaborate I, on that. I well, I started off by saying wait until uh, early November when things are happening. You know, get yourself a rattle <laughs> bag and a grunt tube. <laughs> no. no, I think we, you know, what what we're displaying here is that we've we've built something uh, here that goes well beyond hunting, right, Phil? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Ben Ben talks. He says words into a microphone. People think that they're worthwhile. I still don't understand it. But uh, yeah, I'd say, uh, yeah, people, people are engaged with the show beyond hunting. Mm, beautiful. Um, we had to admit that now. That's going to be hard to live up to. But well, Luke and Lisa, congratulations. Uh, you know, I, I said earlier, don't have kids, but do what you got to do. You know, do what you want to do in that regard. Um, I'm just I'm just happy for you. I'm feeling real warm. Just like last week, I'm feeling warm this week thanks to the THC listeners, uh the THC cult members as we call them. Uh Ford doesn't know about that either. So he's like, "What the f- I was going to say it sounds so complimentary when you call them the cult." Yeah, no, it's the cult. They like it. I had a I had an <laughs> email from a guy from Marshall Caldwell by his name and he's been listening to back episodes and he we mentioned earlier this year that we would make THC robes. For, for folks who like, I'm a robe guy. Ford, are you a robe guy? You know, I used to be a big robe guy. I've kind of moved out of it in the last couple of years. And in fact, my better half has actually taken my robe um, as her Taken own. it? Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That implies there is a problem. Like something, something happened. Well, no, I suppose. Then maybe I used the wrong verb there. But she now wears the robe. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Oh, gotcha. Oh, she she wanted to wear it. I thought, I thought there was yeah. like an inciting incident where she had to just... No, <laughs> there, was, there wasn't like a battle, <laughs> oh, yeah. at which point I lost Or you just like went to the grocery store and she was uh, like, it's over. No, yeah. no, no it wasn't. Room. It wasn't really a conflict, um, you know, in the way, for example, like our uh, the taxidermy uh, allocations I've told you about in the living room are. Yeah, um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's ubiquitous. Uh, yeah. Is that the... <laughs> That's a so, that's a conflict, I would say, with with oh, sort yeah, of a, sure. a line that moves back and forth, not unlike World War One. <laughs> yes, I've been there. My wife, I was putting together. I'm actually putting together a, a THC studio in my in my house, and this is my like what was my office, and I have I put a double pedestal mount blacktail, and my wife walks by and goes, <laughs> she goes really, because it's right when you walk in the door, it's the first thing you see. She goes really, really. I said, yeah, it's beautiful. Not to her, not to her. Yep. So I'm using up a lot of my a lot of my cred right there just for that double pedestal mount. But mm-hmm. I think it's that, beautiful. That would be strong. I th- I would struggle on that front. The double pedestal. I think we really Thanks. all taxidermy in our home is re- is known as dead stuff, quote unquote, and yep. can fall yep. into any category. Be that euro, uh, I suppose shoulder that don't have any or hides all fall into that category. Those sheds do not because they don't come from a dead animal. I, I we have uh, established that sheds are kind of like bougie and hipster anyway. Sometimes, <laughs> exactly as are exactly. European mounts. Um, yeah, anyway, we're way off track. Way off. Track. <laughs> yeah, where were we going? Were we ever on a track? Um, THC robes. We. <clears throat> yep. Marshall. Marshall is 
once and other folks have asked for us to have like a Black Friday thing. And THC Robes, I think, if if this podcast is still going next Black Friday, I promise that we will make THC Robes and we'll have emblazoned on there the logo and you'll it'll be... Um, I like them to be, you know, as big and fluffy as possible. And I like that robe to be just robust and just I, make I think I, I think I would go kind of like an Eddie theme from uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation there. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, you know, the shitter's full Clark edition, so to speak. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, what well, there's no transition I can make to what <laughs> we want to talk to Ford about. There's nothing I can do. Speaking of things that you talk to people about. Um, Common Wild is something that's happening at First Light and the many other companies, and we want to talk to Ford about that. One, like, I will just say this: companies that we work with or that we have relationships with here always do things, promotions, things that they do, and they often don't align with uh, the show here, and so we don't talk about them. But this one happens to be pretty damn cool, and it aligns with a lot of the things we talk about in terms of coming together around this uh, this here hunting pursuit and fishing and other things, outdoor pursuits in general. So, Ford, do you want to take a break from the silliness and tell people about Common Wild? Yeah. Well, I'm glad it, it does. I think it riffs off a lot of what y'all talk about on, uh, on this here podcast. But sort of the idea came about a couple of years ago, you know, in, in sort of these divided rancorous times one thing that seems to come through as as bipartisan and something we can largely agree on is the great outdoors right and we saw that with the great american outdoors act with the ace act um you know with as as different voices as jane fonda and donald trump jr uh putting together criticism on pebble mine which ultimately seems to have somehow moved the needle there. Uh, and so I think we came to the conclusion that really conservation is truly is truly bipartisan at this time. And we don't have to tell ourselves it is uh, particularly. And wouldn't it kind of be nice if we could get uh, a number of companies in our space and, and hopefully from all corners of the outdoor industry, not just fishing and hunting, involved in, in kind of making a statement about uh, how conservation, how the great outdoors brings us together and uh, when just about nothing else seems to. And that's kind of where this common wild initiative idea was born uh, in this sort of optimistic, but hopefully true vision of conservation as a great uniter. Yeah. And that's, I, we see, you know, we talk about our polarized times here and and how hard it is to kind of get people to come together around something, no matter what it is. Um, and the the example you brought up about the Great American Outdoors Act, not only was it socially and culturally binding in some ways, I mean, it was politically binding because, because that act itself was and is something that was bipartisan in nature. And so when we think about those things, you know, any any effort we can make to foster that connection and really the the realization that we aren't as far apart as, as we might think we are is a good thing. Uh, and and oftentimes, as, as you know, when I bring up Patagonia or other companies that are seen as, you know, green or um, progressive, there's a lot of people that want to clap back about their anti-predator hunting stance or whatever that might be. There are plenty of, if we're being honest, things to disagree over. Um, we 
tend to focus on those a lot, which is fine. Um, we got to find a way to, to grind those out. But this is a chance. Common Wild, to me, is a chance to focus on what we do agree on. Yeah, and, and that's sort of a, a specific story that comes to mind in that regard. You know, a couple of years ago, uh, Yvonne Chouinard, founder of Patagonia, was a, a featured storyteller at the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Rendezvous. I think it was 2018, if it serves me right. Um, and there was some foot pushback from BHA members, to your point, along, um, you know, well, BHA doesn't agree on Patagonia's stance on predator hunting or whatever, you know, a myriad of things for sure. But I thought BHA's response to those folks was measured and, and effective. And it was something to the lines of, yes, we certainly don't agree on 100 out of 100 things. Maybe we only agree on 72 and a half things out of 100 with Patagonia. Um, but one of those is the protection of wildlife and wild places. And so why would we not work with a powerful ally, so to speak, that that shares that common and I would argue sort of all-encompassing goal, right? I mean, let's basically put another way, let's put aside our differences on those six or 10 issues in the interest of, you know, basically protecting um, our access, Americans' access to the natural world, right? Um, and that, that did, that had a, that made an impression on the team at first light for sure. And I think that helped to inform kind of the vision for this. Um, cause you know, put another way, I think we can argue about who's snowmobiling, where, who's hunting there, who's trail running, bird watching, whatever. Um, when they're in a parking lot paving over the woods we were talking about, um, I think, you know, it's sort of a wait, let's stand back here and, and look at how much we have in common. We all need the woods. We all have a passion for doing something in the woods. Uh, so let's protect them first and iron out sort of the details later. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and part of the thing that we've always talked about on this show about the hunting community itself, if it's not accepting of, of differing ideas, if it's a monolith in the way that it sees the world, it's never going to grow. It's never going to find social acceptance it's never going to find culture acceptance it's never going to find the place i think it deserves within our nation and our and our national consciousness so if we're not able to if we kick everybody out that thinks that we should ban ar-15s or we should stop shooting wolves then we're never going to have the kind of broad-based support that we need to do what we do so um folks out there that that really want to see an industry getting together saying hey this is something we really you know, we're going to do something to display this um, support of, of legislation is one thing, but this is uh, another because commerce is commerce. Uh, companies have to grow. They got to make money. And this is something that is about a little bit more than that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it's about it's largely, you know, this is a fundraiser, to be clear. Practically, what we're doing is is selling a, a series of limited uh release um swag essentially and 100 percent of the profits are going to conservation so an algae an enamel camp cup and a cap um but really i think honestly this is more about this message uh than it is even about fundraising for specific groups which it will do in a big way and, and is already doing i should say um but i almost think that that message of conservation as a unifier, especially in these divided times, is almost the most important element of this project. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, tell people, give people the 
the rundown of where they go, what they can do, and the, what, what the end game is here, to, so we're clear. Absolutely. Yeah, so obviously, you know, firstlight.com, uh, uh, you're going to find links right away to the Common Wild project. Um, but generally speaking, uh, commonwild.org is going to have sort of the comprehensive uh, rundown on the campaign, and it'll have links to all the participating brands from uh, hunting rifles to women's mountain bike apparel uh, that you can get uh, that limited edition Common Wild Camp Cup Nalgene and Hat at. So immediately, Ford, when the, the Camp Cup and the, the Nalgene showed up and the hat, my wife stole all of it. All of it. Good. She was That's drinking, a good litmus test. She was drinking wine out of the Camp Cup last night, <laughs> in fact. That's, that's the best like, thing hey. you could have told me about the use of the merchandise, Ben. There isn't a, you know, Common Wild is not an NGO. It's not a nonprofit. There's no kind of centralized fund. It's more a way, I see the campaign as a way for brands to raise money kind of for the conservation partners they already work with. So, you know, for example, Weatherby, I believe, is given all their funds uh or all the profits from the project to the Mule Deer Foundation. Uh, Nemo is given all the profits from their common wild gear to TRCP. So the kind of the agency on where those dollars are going um, is totally up to the brand, basically. Um, so, you know, kind of depending on who you're buying from, you'll kind of be able to learn more about where those dollars are going specifically, if that makes sense. It makes all sense. Yeah. Um, this, it's just, a, it's an important thing for people to think, um, our buddy Brian Callahan always talks about trailhead diplomacy. This is a more, uh, a commerce, a commerce related way to, uh, get in that. And it's, like I said, it's a pretty cool thing. My wife immediately stole it and ran off and filled it with wine and hid in the closet and drank. I mean, again, Luke and Lisa don't have kids. Uh, that's what, it, that's what it makes you do. It really does. Um, all right, well, we're going to get to Sam Soholt. We're going to get to uh, everything from duck stamps to how he came up hunting as a kid to uh, why, why social media scares both of us in another conversation with our good friend and public land bus guy, Sam Soholt. Enjoy. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks. Or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, it's not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at TWC.com. 
health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Sam So Holt, what's up, buddy? Not much, man. It's good to be back on the podcast. I know. It's good to see you, man. You look good. You look like you've had a robust fall season. It's been good. You know, it's uh, typically I can tell how good the season was by how much weight I've lost in my face by the end of November. <laughs> face, face weight. <laughs> yep. We should do a contest, a face weight contest before and after for the audience here. Yeah. Oh, man. It's, if, uh, it's drastic. Yeah. I yeah. always usually measure by like scraggliness of beard, although I haven't hunted. I didn't hunt at all in November because of the COVID. But yeah. uh, usually yeah. if my beard has like one hair that's going north and one that's going west, I yep. feel pretty good about it. That's a good year. Your yeah. face looks thin. Your face looks, yeah. you look, uh, look like you've been a, after it's, getting after it's it. It's a combo of things. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's not eating all that much and getting up, you know, four o'clock yeah. every day for the last about 30 days and yeah. sitting in a tree. Um, chasing whitetails and then um, also shaving my beard off into a mustache really trimmed my that, face buddy. down <laughs> i saw that i didn't like it i got it that's okay yeah it, it mustaches are such a hit or miss thing yeah no like, and it's not good on me i just look exactly like my dad if i if i shave it into nothing wrong with that <laughs> jerry soulholt is a damn legend yeah he is He's one of the man yep and you've been doing a lot of hunting with him and your brother right yeah yeah, it's been good. We got to do two uh, week-long family trips this year. So, um, yeah, it was great. And it was really fun to – got uh, my dad was able to shoot a deer on both trips, which is, you know, pretty rare, really. Well, give give the – you know, we last episode we did – the listeners made me cry because we did like a holiday traditions thing, and a lot of people wrote in about their dads. And yep. Mark Kenya was on, and we were talking about his dad. And I shed a few tears. I'm not, I'm not scared yeah. to admit that shit. And – um but your dad, I feel like, needs his own show. Yeah. You, feel, you agree? Yeah, I think so. And I, I've been trying to figure it out. So I've had this idea for a while, and somebody's probably going to steal it now that I'm going to talk about it on a podcast. But uh, It's patented. I, it's patented and protected. It's, patented, IP, yeah. it's, it's got trade, IP protection. It's trademarked for trademarked. sure. Trademarked. Um, yep. No, I, I want to do um, 
just a kind of a either weekly or every couple of weeks, like kind of a, a segment um, focusing on conservation, like and what's happening with different conservation groups and what they're up to. Um, and I thought that he would be a good host of that <laughs> show for YouTube. And so I'm kind yep. of work, working out the details on that with him to see if he would want to do that. But well, I'm all for that. We we had a we had a really emotional like uh, father son hunt origin story Thanksgiving time last week. Nice. Um, so what what was your? It was growing up. Like what was your thing with Jerry and your brother? Yep. Like what was the what was it like? Because you guys have extended that. I mean, you guys are you know hunting your asses off together during a pandemic, which is beautiful in and of itself. But I mean, how'd that all get going? Yeah. So. Uh... My dad or our dad grew up in northern Wisconsin in a hunting family. So our grandpa hunted, you know, all the time and um, shot a lot of deer. And legend has it that he was just a hell of a shot. Um, So they lived in northern Wisconsin. This is just a story um, real quick. So they lived in northern Wisconsin. And so really thick woods, you know. So if you're going to shoot something, like you got to be quick on the draw. If you, you know, catch a glint of antler or whatever. That's um, pronounced a. Tick woods. Yeah, tick. Yeah. Tick so, woods. And up in the so tick woods. Super, super, super thick. Well, then for, there was a stint where the whole family moved to um, Carrington, North Dakota. And my grandpa ran the Farmers Union um, uh, plant or whatever um, right there in Carrington. And uh, um, there was a, you know, it's wide open in North Dakota. So they were going to do a deer drive and there's a group of guys and I think it was nine or 10 guys in the, in the group and they were going to drive this field and shelter belts and stuff. And well, they put my grandpa on then cause they had heard that he was a good shot. And they said, well, a lot of us won't get shots at deer. So if you have opportunities at shooting bucks, like just keep shooting, you know, this is back in the fifties. <laughs> and so my grandpa being a guy that had lived his whole life shooting deer in the Northwoods, uh, all of a sudden deer start running out the end of the shelter belt and he shot nine. Uh, <laughs> and, and when he told the story, you know, he's like, oh, it was all easy shots. You know, it was like between 90 and 150 yards and sure they're running, but it's in the wide open. <laughs> so, uh, so he shot nine and he's like, and you know, came to find out that the guys weren't really all that happy that I filled all their tags because <laughs> they didn't expect me to, to do that. But, um, but yeah, I, when he lived in North Dakota, he shot a deer, um, that it was, it, it, you know, it's probably scores in the 170s, maybe low 180s. Um, but more impressively, they weighed it after it had hung or gutted and hung for three days, and it was 375 pounds. Whoa. Yep. So they figured it to be 415 pounds-ish on the hoof. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. That's like yep. three Texas hill country deer put together. Yeah. Just or four, maybe. Giant. There's a, we have a photo of it. Um that he had shot two other bucks that morning and there's a photo of that deer hanging with two other really nice deer from the big forklift of a tractor and it's just giant just yeah. enormous well when yeah. we share this podcast out you'll have to send me that because i, I will see yeah i, I will see yeah. a 400 pound deer yeah hanging yeah so then uh, so yeah so he grew up hunting or my you know my dad grew up hunting in wisconsin my dad and uncle and then when we were kids my dad was still archery hunting and, but when we were all born, obviously time is a little bit harder to come by and archery hunting isn't really conducive to spending time with family. So, uh, we were living in, uh, born in Aberdeen, South Dakota, and we had transitioned com- basically completely into bird hunting because upland and waterfowling was a way 
easier opportunity to have the whole family out together spending time, you know, whether it be in a blind or in a boat or whatever, it's everyone's right there and you can talk the whole time and share the experiences. Mm -hmm. And so, um, from when I was really little, you know, way too young, probably five or six years old, I was walking pheasant fields. And, and then when I was 10 or so, we started duck hunting and, you know, started really dove into that. And that's all we did. And then, you know, as Josh and I got older, we both transitioned into big game stuff. And then uh, our dad, Jerry, got back into it heavily. And we've been chasing deer with a bow since, uh, oh, really, since, like, again, he got back into it in about 2010. Yeah. So, There's no, yeah. like, I feel like with Jerry, there might be, like, some hidden Woodstock story or something that you got <laughs> tucked away. Uh, I'm some, to like... This time, like a bar fight story or some kind of. Oh, like, I've got yeah. There's definitely those. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, I feel like Jerry, his legend may grow in this podcast. I feel. Yeah, like. I mean, there a quick bar fight story. He went to a wedding in Winnipeg, and him and all the groomsmen went into a bar, and uh, this was in the height of Vietnam. This was, this was back in the seventies, and six yeah seventies. Anyway, going to go into the bar and. Um, one of my dad's buddies asked the guy, are you from Winnipeg? And he said, yeah. And he goes, are you from the States? And he goes, yeah. And the guy just clocked him. And then the whole bar broke out in a fight and they had to fight, <laughs> had to fight their way out uh, just because yeah. they were from the States. So, <laughs> but there Jerry, was, there were, Jerry yeah. don't play. Jerry no. probably got in there and whooped some Canadian. Oh yeah. I mean, he was ass. a college football player, you know, six, three, 250 pounds at the time. Yeah. Yeah, not to yeah. offend anybody from Canada, but no, I mean, no. you guys yeah. can't. You're, I mean, they, they are hockey. You can't say they can't fight because they, that's one of the things they're actually good at up there. Yeah, well, they uh, can fight, and then they're still friends at the end of it. That's right. <laughs> Come on, eh? We have yeah. The the Canadian contingent of THC is an, is is a vocal and angry uh, contingent <laughs> often because we slight them sometimes. But you know, we love you guys. We love yeah. you up there. Yeah. Well, that's good. Hopefully. You know, you guys can, I, I suggest, I always suggest things that you should do. You know, I think, like, hey, Sam, you should do this. You should do yeah. a show with the three of you guys hunting together. Boom. Well, yeah, we should. Yeah. That should really just should. be a, a show of its own. The Soholt boys, call it that. Mm-hmm. You get like a, you know, you already have, you don't even need the vehicle. I was going to say get a get a, a vehicle. We already got that. Oh, yeah. You got the van. We have two of them. Got the van. Got, got the bus. The bus. We're, we're set. <laughs> What's the, na- I'd like to see you do a public land e-bike uh sure yeah maybe I mean, that's off maybe that's that's probably a, a little bit off brand well maybe I, actually, I have an e-bike we actually uh um yeah got a couple of them this year but a lot of the places that we hunt you can't bike in can't so bike. it's uh yeah it's been it's been hard it stays on the back of the van yeah quite a bit yeah all right well how's the van going we need a van update we probably talked about the van during quarantine castaway back when we when we thought life eventually the pandemic would end you know remember yeah. when we were like oh september will probably be over yeah um that's not the case uh, no but you did spend all fall in the van last yep. time i was in the van i slept on the ground yeah oh, well not, not the ground i slept on the metal flooring of the van which was pretty comfortable yeah uh, all in all i think there was it's, still carpet in it at that time i think uh, it had it might have had some sort of covering yeah. over the metal <laughs> flooring of the van yeah no um, so it, fond memories yeah, I was just thinking about that, um, you know, like whatever that'd be, just over a year ago, that was the end of October, yep. that we were out in Montana chasing critters around in it when it was still blue and still, 
you know, nothing had been done on the inside. And then the, the podcast that we did in March, um, early in the pandemic, uh, I'm trying to think that all we had done, we had ripped the guts out of it and we had got it wrapped. I think that was the only two things that we had done. And so now it's completely built out. Um, you know, like the side doors open up into like a main hull compartment so you can do the gear throw. And then the back is when you open the back doors, you have a decked drawer system. And then on top of that is a cargo glide with a foam cut out for all the guns and, and bows. And then above that is a bed that has a divider so we can both sleep in there. Um, does the cargo guide lock? Uh, yeah. You, it does? Yep. Okay. That's yep. nice. Yeah. That's yep. nice. Does this make your garage look so much more just, there's nothing in there? Because when I look <laughs> at my th- garage, I'm like, hey, man, I wish I had a van to put all my shit in. <laughs> you know, you would, you would think so, but I have found that it doesn't really matter. It like... You transition between seasons so much it like the garage is always full of stuff that's true yeah, yeah. especially if you're a big waterfowl guy you gotta have there's no yeah. way to get around that shit no the garage is always full no. we should do i might do a podcast one time just about garage just go through a garage setup because a, a hunter every hunter has to have the like a garage that's put together yeah i would love to have like a 40 by 60 building oh. and the, finally have all of my stuff in one spot. <laughs> a van. <laughs> a van. So a increasingly bus. smaller yeah. vehicles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's have to be like an eight-stall garage so I can keep buying. like <laughs> Smaller a little. Yeah, eventually, yeah. it's just a scooter, public yeah. scooter. I'll just so, buy like a 10-bay storage unit, yeah. <laughs> and then each one could be a different season vehicle. Yeah. Waterfowl, upland, yep. white. Yep. So that would actually be, yeah. Oh, we could, man, we could make that some, be nice? We could make some money off that in Bozeman, I bet, if we had like for a storage sure. unit just for hunters, uh-huh. storage unit complex just for hunters. Yep. Actually, that's not a. I'm that's gonna write that down. Plan. That's a good yeah. business idea. You're a guy that starts businesses. Uh, yes. Yeah. Think of you know Bozeman hunting storage where we have like yeah. This is your waterfowl one, and this is so your whitetail you, one. So what you would do, just off the top of my head, you would have storage units that hey, are this specific. Is, this to is patented and protected. Yeah, this is also, but in the center of the complex you have a game cleaning facility. Oh, yeah. And so people could pull in and drop their four-wheeler, the boat, and then pull in and hoist the deer up or the elk up or the quarters or whatever and cut them all up. And Yep, in the know. back end of our facility, we have a bar where people come in, a little, yeah. little bragging board. They get to put oh, their yeah. picture in. Yep. yep, you get to say, okay, a couple hundred bucks a month. You get to be a part of the hunt club. You get to use our game cleaning facilities. Um, we'll hire somebody to, to be there. This is actually... We're going to cut sweet. this out of the show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like this, this idea. Posterity. I'm ready to invest. Like <laughs> okay. I'm going to sell the van. Yeah. Sell we'll the raff, bus. We'll raffle the bus and use it to pay for the, the hunting storage. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. And we'll just like, this one is a waterfowl one. It'll be like, it's, well, it's the exact same as the other one. Be like, no, it's, it's, no, it's you not. Know, <laughs> choose your own adventure. It's, it's a different dimensions. Uh, I, I do like this. But anyway, you, you, do you feel like that the van, you can tell people what kind of van it was, but you feel like the van was obviously more fuel economic, economic fuel wise, yep, than the bus. Yes. But do you feel like it had the same allure and the same comfort level? Like, did you miss the old the old girl? Yeah, I mean, so it's trade offs, right? So the van is nice uh, because you can travel a lot quicker and you can take it anywhere. Um, you know, having a four wheel drive van with all that storage and everything built out, very purpose driven for hunting. Uh, it's an awesome rig. What I really miss 
about having the bus all the time is uh, honestly like the space for, there was always a place for everything in the bus. Uh, you know, and I could, I could pack for three months of traveling, three different seasons, all the different weather types and hide, you know, all of the other stuff that I wasn't using could be jammed under beds and back under stuff and packed in um, until I swapped seasons and then I could just grab stuff out. And then also being able to stand all the time. And if I didn't want to set up the tent, I could cook in the, in the bus or, um, so there's just, you know, it's just trade-offs, but the bus didn't go anywhere other than, you know, a campground or a trailhead or like the foothills of stuff. It wasn't, wasn't yeah. built for back roads on the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was, you know, I always think of, you know, a lot of guys sleep in the back of their trucks. A lot of guys I've been really just enjoying, enjoying a nice, putting up a nice tent. I don't know mm-hmm. for, I've just been sleeping in tents forever. So it just feels more common to me. I don't know that slide in the back of my truck with a top row on it would be so yeah appealing to me in, in any way. Um, yep. So there's so many, so many different ways to do it. We've talked about that on, on this show a couple of times. Well, how are you truck camping? Because especially in the West, but as you, as you know, across the country, um, having a place to easily lay your head is essential if you're hunting public land and you're moving yeah. around. You know? Yeah. And, and I, and I found, you know, um, I do like like backcountry hunting, uh, and doing the, you know, you throw a camp on your back and you're going in for whatever, five to 10 days. But at the same time, I, I feel like a lot of times I can hunt harder, even if I'm hiking extra every single day and I'm not spiking out, I can hunt harder if I know I have a warm, dry, uh, place to go sleep and be able to make good food and, I'm going to sleep better. I'm going to eat better. And like the next morning I can wake up and charge in another four or five miles and then charge back out instead of being completely wiped out. But that's just me personally. Like, I mean, everybody has their own level of comfort on all that stuff. Yeah. And I think it's cyclic for me too, because sometimes this year, especially I got to a point where I was telling some guys at work, I like, I got to a point where I wanted to be alone hunting. I don't know why Mm -hmm. I didn't have any reason for it. I didn't, I think part of it was I took my dad out early in the season. I had taken other pe- other people out. When you're hunting elk, you kind of have to have two people. You kill one, it's a hell of a lot easier yeah. to pack it out with another person along with you. And for me, too, we're in grizzly country all the time. It's also yeah. nice to have somebody that can shoot a bear off you if it's ripping your face. Yeah. Um, those are t- nice things to have. Those are <laughs> excellent things to have. But you're hunting with a different person. Then you have to say, like, who's going to shoot? Who's going to, you know, who's going to yep. not? And then you end up, I always end up deferring because I do want other people to kill things. But then eventually you're like, man, I'm, I got to, I got to fill some tags. I got to get going. Now yep. I knew I want to be by myself, make my own decisions, you know. So I was happy to hunt deer on my own, uh, hunt pronghorn on my own, just to get to the point where it was like nothing else mattered but where I was and who I was with. But then other times, like that time we were, that I slept in the van, there was like eight people in that hunt. Yeah. <laughs> and we just, we just basically hung out, uh, in the middle of a snowstorm and that was still fun in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think, I think that's right. It like just changes from time to time, like kind of how you feel about each hunt and what you want the experience to be. Um, yeah. and I think that's just how it goes. Yeah. And you and I have been on some, some whole kind of different adventures, man. Uh, we have been, we've been <laughs> kind of all over the world doing stuff. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And so that those things like those memories, you know, you kind of I pick and choose, but but when I waffle, I tend to waffle towards being with people more than being alone. Yeah. I really want, when I want to kill something, it's easier to be alone. 
Yeah. Like you just make all your own choices, you move on your own your on your own timeline and boom, 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 you're done. Um but when I really I really like having at least one other person there, if only to share the whole experience with. Yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I, yeah. I I'm with you. But ultimately, like when people are thinking about you know, I, when I moved to Montana, the first thing I thought about is I got to have a setup for each type of hunt, you know, because yeah. there's so many options in a place like Montana and in most places where you can move around and hunt across the state. There's a lot of options like in South Dakota where you're at, you got a lot of things you can go and do, Yep. Um, from, you know, seasonally for sure. And so you got to kind of have like, if I'm running a gun on my own, I'm going to have this, you know, I'm going to have a, you know, Stone Glacier makes a, a great just... So, you know, biv that is your trekking pole mm-hmm. and a covering, and it's less than a pound. So what's it called? Uh, it escapes me what it's called. Something you all, you guys will look it up. I've mentioned it before. Phil, <laughs> look that up. Phil, Jamie, Jamie, <laughs> Jamie. Yeah, young Jamie, look, look that up. Look it up, Jamie. Um, <laughs> we don't have. We're not. We're not that. Uh, I've finished my beer, by the way. For, <laughs> uh, for folks that aren't for. The folks that are listening and expecting us to like have a point to the conversation, it's Friday. Uh, Sam's having a white claw. I'm finishing a Modelo. Yeah, not a, and I think need, you know. Not I think a we'll make. I think we'll make some good points. I mean, we've got uh, a lot. There's no way to know. <laughs> no, we've got a lot to talk about. We've got we some do, conservation really stuff to to cover. And yeah, let's get uh, to that because that's it. Feels meaningful. And I'm out of my beer, so yeah. Uh, maybe my wife will bring me another one. I'll, I'll text her. Oh, do you feel like? You know, where do you think we are in terms of conservation as a whole in the hunting community? I mean, over the years that I've been in the hunting community, I've seen it. I don't know. I want to say it it became a buzzword. It became something everybody was thinking about. And mm-hmm. certainly for you and for you and for Meat Eater and for the, what I do here at the Hunting Club, like we build our ethos and, and the reasons we go outside, we bake in conservation, right? So yep. conservation went from something was talked about after we talked about how big the buck was into yep. a part of what we did, like a, a forward-facing value set for our group. And now, um, with everything, there's a counterculture that builds when, when you're talking about conservation all the time. There, there's people that are tired of hearing it or they just want to mm-hmm. go hunt, right? And yep. so I think that that's a natural evolution. Do you, you feel that too in what you do? Because I know with public land tees and with – the duck stamp initiative that you're working on, yep. um, stamp it forward. I mean, you're you're directly in the business of of conservation and promoting it and and understanding where it where it where it's living right now. Yeah, I uh, I mean I feel like yeah it's it's um you know it really ramped up there when it became a hashtag. You know, it became a cool thing to talk about and a cool thing to promote and. Uh, and like you said, like I think some of that has fallen off, mostly just because we all have very little um, time for that much attention on any one thing. And so there's, you know, people are still talking about it. I think the, I think the best thing that has come from all of this is that even if less people are talking about it today, people are still thinking about it when they're making decisions on, you know, buying tags or supporting conservation groups or you know helping out at some river cleanup or whatever it might be. I think even if it's not like this, you know, war cry at the moment, I think uh, it's still in the back of a lot of people's minds. And I still get a lot of messages and I'm sure you do too, about people really thanking us for how much uh, promotion we do of how important conservation is, especially during the pandemic 
because all of the conservation groups are really hurting uh, yeah. because they weren't able yeah. to have any banquets. All the events are canceled. You know, it's because it's such a shift immediately, it's really hard for people to make that transition to only donating online instead of being able to go and hang out with their buddies and spend 500 bucks on raffle tickets and whatever it might be. Um, yeah, so I think we're just in this weird transition period where nonprofits are learning how to raise money outside of the banquet scene and people that want to be involved in conservation are trying to learn how they can still help without going to a banquet. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. So anybody listening, like, um, you're probably not going to a banquet this year, but it would, it goes a long ways go sign up for five different conservation groups. I mean, it's a, it'll be about 120 bucks to do that. Yeah. Uh, but it goes a long way. It really does. And, and it, uh, conservation is a concept where it, it really depends on the people. Like it, it it is something that is so aligned with people's sensibilities and, and what they're willing to give to it. You know, I think hunting hunting itself is a participatory, you know, activity, but you can participate in it without having any knowledge of the conservation that, that rides along, mm-hmm. you know, in your pocket while you go there. Now, we'll, we'll talk about the duck stamp and some of the other things that you're contributing to, even if you don't have the knowledge that you're doing it. Um but that's that's I think that's the the more tangible side of conservation. The less tangible side is like how we we think about you know the value system, right? And and yep. the value system leads to wanting to pay into it. Yep. You know the only reason I've ever been a life member of any organization is because I felt like I know you know I know that BHA my life membership at BHA really matters. It really matters to them from a revenue standpoint and the things that they do that are good for me. Um, Really sorry, I got a message that I need to deal with. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. I need to like shut down all my messaging systems. <laughs> my Slack is like blowing up. Um what was I saying? <laughs> this is, my podcast is going downhill over the You're years. You're just talking about how important like a lifetime membership to BHA right. is. So yeah, like a lifetime member cut this out, Phil, you motherfucker. Uh <laughs> <laughs> you know, for example, a lifetime membership to BHA. I sit on the board there. I know what that revenue means to this that that organization, and and I know when something like the Great American Outdoors Act comes up, or or something like the Farm Bill, for example. If you're if you're talking about pheasants forever, mm-hmm. um, there's so many there's so many leg, so much legislation that requires us to act, right? And and conservation requires us to act. Hunting itself requires us to participate, and it's, it's own it's an own action. But it doesn't require you to do anything other than go and fill your tag or not. Yep. Um, conservation is a parallel activity that we all have to take place, you know, take part in uh, along the way. So it yeah. really is on us. And that's a yeah. good feeling. I know when you and I are hanging out that we, like, we share that and we want to fight for that. And that's yep. cool, man. And, um, you know, for us to be able to move along in our lives and in the industry and, and in our hunting experiences, knowing that, you know, I think it brings people together. So I hope I hope everybody can recognize that in a, in a changing time. It's a good yeah. point you made there. You know, and uh, I forget who wrote the article, but I but I honestly really enjoyed it. It was most people that get into hunting don't do so because they want to participate in conservation. There's a whole slew of other reasons that they want to hunt, whether it be to source their own food or to spend time with family and friends or just kind of get back to 
you know, reset your soul in the woods. Um, but the majority of people don't go, I'm going to start hunting because I want to donate to conservation. And so, like you said, it, it's a parallel activity that you need to have, that you need to understand more about. And so people like us, we just need to continue to do a better job educating about how important just simple license sales are, as well as everything else, whether, you know, through the nonprofits and through the Pittman-Robertson and through the LWCF and um, you name it, there's all these different programs that still most people have no idea about that keep the world of hunting and fishing, you know, moving. Yeah. And so it's, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's just important for us to continue to do what we do best and that's advocate for wild places, uh, an escape for people to go and money to keep all of those places open. Yeah. I mean, I think that we too also, and I would be guilty of this too. And I realized this when I was writing an article on Pittman Robertson, Peterson's hunting some years back. In my mind, and in in the crew I hang out with, and even the the people that listen to this podcast, because eleven point five million people don't listen to this podcast. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, we we'll get there someday. Obviously, uh, <laughs> we're close. <laughs> we're not close. Um, that we live in a bubble. I live in a bubble where I where everybody I talk to understands Pittman Robertson. Everybody I talk to understands the Duck Stamp. Everybody I talk to understands and, and is passionate about Land and Water Conservation Fund. And so in my own mind, I start, to, I start to build this community of hunters where it's the prevailing knowledge set is that of the people I hang out with. Yep. And that's just not true, you know? And I did a, I, I took a straw poll of 200 people that I know that, went, that hunt, that are avid hunters when I was writing this article about Pittman-Robertson, and I asked them the simple question, what is Pittman-Robertson? <laughs> and I also gave them the other, you know, like, what is, here are the other names of it. Like, what is this? What does it mean to you? And 197 of them didn't know what it was. Um, two of them knew what it was. One of them like talked through kind of that money went somewhere and didn't, you know. And so in, in this idea that, and, and can I blame them? No. When you buy a license and they give you the little book, the little regulations book, no matter where you are and what state you are, is Pittman Robertson, Duck Stamp, LWCF, on and on, Farm Bill, on and on we go. Is that printed on the front? And the the first three pages of that, not right in the top. It's typically like if there is something, it's always right at the back of the book that it's says. Like by the way, yeah, you know? <laughs> yep. And so and so, no matter what we do, we may penetrate the same core group of people that really love this. But you know, I think the beauty of the things that you're doing is that like by wearing a t-shirt or by passing forward a duck stamp, there's incremental growth and the core group of people that we feel are important for the future of this thing, of people that really have the value system and aren't just taking part in the participatory hunt, but are engaging in the value system that comes with it, which is, which is, I believe is a beautiful thing. It makes your life better. In my opinion. I completely agree. I was going to say, I hope you don't, I disagree, Ben. That's a, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely not. Um, Have you seen, like, have you, have you had a lot of, a lot of people through what you do through your Instagram that that do tell you, "Hey, man, I never really thought about it this way, but now, you know, I've, I've I'm telling everybody about this." Yeah, and and honestly, even people that I know um, who have been avid hunters in the past are starting to frame, you know, whether it be the duck stamp or everything else that we're up to, they're starting to frame money generated for conservation in a different way in their mind. You know, I had a, a buddy who 
he is a guide at a waterfowling outfitter and he's like, Hey man, like I bought uh, three stamps the other day. Like I bought a t-shirt from you. So I'm getting a stamp anyway, but I went and bought three when I went to buy the one to have in my wallet because I had never ever thought about the fact that that money just goes directly back to, you know, protecting wetland habitat. And so um, it's been fun to get those types of messages from people who have been in it for a long time. They're like, Oh man, like, it makes total sense just to, you know, throw a little bit extra at it every year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that money, cause I know duck stamp legislation in Congress is one of the, one of the only taxes in the country where people are like add to it, like yeah, right. tax us more. <laughs> the constituency yep. is like, Hey, listen, yeah. we'll pay more. I would and like that. To, yeah. Yeah. I'd like it to it, be $50. <laughs> yeah. And imagine if you lived and I always, we've been using the analogy lately around here. Like if hunting was a town, Right, if you lived in a town and the hunting community was a town, it would be a, a lot of white dudes. But we'll get we'll yep. save that for another day. <laughs> but <laughs> it there would be a shared value system, like a communal value system that says, like, "Hey, we really want that fire station to have a new hose. Here's some money. We really, you know, like because yep. we all get to use the public land system and even are all able to uh, at the level we're able to cooperate with landowners." hunt their land as well whether that's leasing or just a cooperative work exchange or whatever that might end up being um we're able to have this shared value system we treat each other better we treat the places we are better um at least in theory <laughs> there's plenty of examples of people trash in places they shouldn't trash but in theory like our town is a pretty damn like at least in the way we act a pretty damn close-knit community that is willing to contribute to make the place better Right? Yeah, like at its, yep. and that's what conservation in terms of a value system does. Um, uh, yes, when we're at the bar, we argue about compound bow versus crossbow. Well, of course, <laughs> but but we're but all that, paying into the bar, man. It, you know, you know the thing that puts me at ease though is that it doesn't matter what industry, like whether it be hunting or biking or camping or you know, it doesn't matter. It like or if you sell computer software or what you know, what, it doesn't matter the industry. Every single group has that infighting of some yeah. description. Yeah. Now, on the hunting side of things, it's a little more important to squash that down because we are under a microscope most of the time. And so it's just uh, we need to make sure that we're promoting hunting and outdoor mm-hmm. recreation in a very positive light whenever possible. Yeah. Isn't that like the, that ends up being, you know, where conservation and social media and everything gets thrown into it. We've talked about it on this show at nauseum, but. But I think if if to me it becomes like the ultimate duality for hunting. The way I put it uh, last episode when I was talking to Mark Kenyon was everybody should be able to do what they want, but nobody should be able to do what they want. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> this is kind of this is kind of how hunting feels at different t- points in time. When yep. somebody's doing something that uh, puts a bad light on everybody and is obviously uh, disingenuous and ill-intentioned everybody wants and it's legal like we had up here in white sulfur springs uh east of bozeman which i'm sure you're familiar with 100 hunters got together and flock shot 50 elk right this yeah, happened I heard about that yep so this happened right we talked about it on the show like okay but it was all but three of those hunters got actual citations like that this was a legal shoot quote unquote but no other hunter other outside of those 100 i don't know how they got 100 people together i i would love to interview one of the 100 people like where did you meet each other how this was this an online message board thing like yeah 
nobody outside of those 100 hunters would agree with what they did. And I would want to outright ban them from doing what they did. But at the same time, it's legal. And so it's just unethical. So that brings me back to, you know, a lot of hunters will say like, uh, Mike Waddell, like that guy, but he would say like, you know, if you want to hunt, hunt, hunt the way you want to, you want to do it. While I agree with that at the same time, you know, if there was 50 hunters, a hundred hunters on his property shooting 50 deer, he probably would think differently. So sorry, Mike Waddell, it's not the (laughs) point, but I think that statement from Waddell is easier to make in 2002. Yeah. You know, before Facebook and before Instagram and before Twitter and all that stuff, like before social media. Yeah. Like if it's legal, pursue it, do it the way you want. Like the, the only people that are ever going to see a photo of you with a deer or however you killed it is some guy at a coffee shop or a cafe or your uncle or whatever. But in the world that we live in, it's you can't go anywhere and do something stupid because somebody's going to find out. Yeah, I mean, we all know that there was a, a famous, a semi-famous hunting couple that speared a bear. I mean, I was in camp the days after they were there. Yep. And now uh, they went and did that. And not only did they do it legally, but the idea that they promoted it in the way that they did led to the outlawing of that practice in the place where they were hunting. Right. And so that's what we're talking about here, like yep. in general. That can happen. It it will happen if you do what they, you know, what they did. If you glorify things that we shouldn't all know be. someone, yeah, shouldn't be. And we all know yep. that the general population won't agree with yep. in the name of I'll hunt the way I want. You're likely, yep. like there's, you open up the the chance for you to have a negative impact on, on hunting and the people around you. You open yep. up that chance. And so then you open up with that chance, you also open up responsibility um, at the same time. So... You know, uh, social media is a, is a weird place for many it reasons. <laughs> did I tell you that I, I... Did you watch The Social Dilemma? I've been yeah. telling every, every guest has to hear this from me now. What yep. did you think about nope. The Social Dilemma? Uh, you know, a lot of it was stuff that I kind of uh, figured um, simply because of how much time I spend on social media, like promoting public land tees and mm. conservation and everything that I'm doing, you know, photography and whatever. I um, mean, that's my job. And so I, I started to notice how easily you can manipulate, manipulate your own algorithm that like of stuff that you see just by like in a single day, you can change the entire feed that you see on your page. And so it made sense to me as they went through, like how sophisticated that is of like, they are pushing things to you specifically it's not like a blanket, like, oh, this is a hunter. It's like, this is a guy that looked at this tree stand on this day for this long, and now we're going to show him more of that or whatever. Um, so, yeah, like after watching it, it just really reaffirmed a lot of the stuff that I kind of already knew. Um, yeah. But it's still scary. I mean, it's uh, it's um, it's amazing what they're able to do And uh, Josh and I were talking about it, and he said the one line that stuck out to him was, if you are getting something for free, you are the product. Yeah. And that's... If you're not paying for the product, you're the product. Right. And I feel like they're, you know, and I felt like, I felt like the folks presenting that, the the criticism I have is like, the attention economy has been there, has been there since the printing press. Mm Mm-hmm. 
probably been there before that. Has the attention economy been amplified over the over the past two decades? Absolutely, it has been amplified um, and been commercialized. Absolutely, um, but that has been that's been how our, our our society has moved forward. We innovate, we innovate in the commercial enterprises, and the and we need to, people to know about those things. So we innovate in the attention economy, and those things smash together. Um, and so I part of me was like, yes, you're right. Part of me is like, well, this has probably been happening since television was invented, and mm-hmm. it's just another evolution of of that attention economy. But right, you know, people people that are listening to this show, if you don't buy, if you're out there and you really love THC and you get it for free, and you don't buy all the advertisers' products immediately, <laughs> and we go off the air, it's your fault. <laughs> let's just say, that. <laughs> let's just say that. It's your fault, you know. If you don't have a work sharp and some element and all this other stuff in your in your cabinet right now, and we go off the air, you're to blame. Uh, <laughs> put it putting it right yep. on you out there. But but in reality, but I was just saying that to say like I watched that when I was in COVID lockdown, mm-hmm. and then we had a contest on the show last couple of weeks where I got real nervous and um, I unfollowed everybody on Instagram except for White Claw. So now I only follow White Claw, and that's your THC page, or no, just no my your personal, personal page. page, yeah, my personal page. <laughs> and it was a mistake, yeah, I, I know. I got a, it was a little bit rash, and I found out that White Claw's social media is not that great. Uh, they don't; <laughs> <laughs> they just kind of share pictures of White Claw cans. Yeah. So I don't know yep. what I'm going to do now. I'm going to have to rebuild my. My Instagram page from the ground up. Yeah, but, you're gonna have uh, to. I got scared. Yep. I really did get scared. So overall, what did you think about the the documentary though, and like what it means? Like more so, like you know, we always look at stuff through the lens of hunting, and so right. from that standpoint, like how do you see it affecting our industry for the positive yeah. or negative? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, you know. Just like anything else, just like an AR-15, social media is how you use it. Uh, mm-hmm. Just like anything else, you know, it, it is not a, it is still taking, it is taking advantage of the things that most media has always taken advantage of, you know. It is the reason that news media is sensationalist and polarized, is because what's going to capture yeah. your attention for the most, the most time and what's going to get you to act, you know, in the most aggressive way. So I, I do think it is an extension of, a new world for us where we literally are acting. You know, when I unfollowed everybody from my Instagram page, I no longer had a view into your life other than if you actually talk to me. Right. And I no longer had a view into a lot of other people's lives unless they actually texted me or we call, they called me or I searched them out. And so, and, and one of the things in that documentary that got me was, you know, the idea that swiping down to get more content is like a, a slot machine. Yep. You know, like those types of activities. And when you start to think about your own mind reacting in that way to the stimulus of social media, and I've seen this in people that I know, you start to become a little bit weakened to propaganda, a little bit mm-hmm. weakened to the more negative um, thought processes of, of that we've all seen. Um, and I was talking to somebody who was in, in the fashion industry recently and they were saying, I was telling them about a lot of the negative stuff that goes on social media within the hunting world. And they were like, oh yeah, we got that too. And like you said earlier, it's not hunting specific that 
there are trends and counter trends and culture and counterculture influencers and anti influencers. Yep. I think this is just the natural reaction to us feeling our way through social media. I mean, it just is. And, and yep. you know, yep. and so I don't know. I, I guess I don't, I used to think I had a good handle on it. I don't know that I have a handle on it now. Uh, like, I want people to, I want to be able to share myself with people in a way that's curated and that I choose to, and I want to promote the ideas that I think are important. Um, I, I like this a lot better. I like what we're doing right now a whole lot better than I like social media, but yeah. it still has value. It's not meaningless. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure, man. I have kids and I hope that by the time they're old enough to want to use it, that I have a better perspective, quite honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, the next decade is going to be very interesting just to see where it all goes and, and kind of how information within our space gets shared um, as some more of the stuff gets censored just because of the nature of it. Yeah. Do you I think mean, we don't like... really have, we don't really have leverage to fight against it because even though it's the most mm. natural thing that we have done for, you know, since the beginning of time, it's still against the people who are creating these products, it's against a lot of their beliefs. So uh, we're getting it for free. <laughs> and so they, you know, we don't really have yeah. a lot of fight other than doing the right thing, which is promoting it in the most positive way possible. And that'll just continue to get shared. Yeah. I mean, you, in some ways, it's, the restrictions are based on, you know, someone who is either ignorant to what we do or anti what we do. And so yep. to the idea that if you showed yourself skin in the D or on Instagram, they may flag it and censor mm -hmm. it or, or however they do that. And so that, but that almost, that kind of censorship denotes kind of the value systems and the perspectives of, of people that don't do what we do. Um, and, and might be, you know, if they are, if, if you were just able to sit down and talk to them in a, in a, just like we're talking right now in person or via zoom and explain it all, in long form. I've never met anybody that got it in that way that didn't immediately pick it up and start having some kind of interest or at least some respect for what it was. Mm -hmm. If you get it in short little snippets from people you know or don't know, you you can't there's no choice but to have a warp perspective of it, right? I mean, there's right. absolutely no choice. If you only follow Joe Rogan and he was the only source of hunting knowledge that you had, which for a lot of people that's true. I mean, we love Joe, like he, he does what he does, but you would have a, a, a myopic perspective on the approach, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, and, it, and you would have a myopic perspective with me too and with you and mm -hmm. anyone else, um, you know, yep. because I'm not talking about squirrel hunting all that much, you know, and I'm no, not. <laughs> very, very rarely. <laughs> very rarely. Although I do like to do it. And I never talk about trapping, you know. <laughs> I know. We had a lot of emailers asking about trapping, but. Yep. We didn't do a whole thing with Sam. But yeah, I, yeah. I do think we're in a time where um, we are being manipulated in so many different ways. And I said this uh, a couple episodes ago, but I do think it's it's true that we are in a position where a lot of people your age and my age are separated from their family unit in a way. I don't know that you're pretty close to your parents where you're at, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Pretty close yep. to your family. A few hundred miles. Yeah. Um, it's being more, It's I, I say it this way, it's more common for people our age to be separated from their family units, to move away from home, to go yep. live in a big city or go live in a place where the jobs are more plentiful. And so you get separated from 
that family unit that grounds you and gives you the right perspectives and you reflect on who you are and how you came to be who you are. You get separated from that value system, plunged into a world where you're basically alone, at least in the person, you know, person to person perspective. And then everything is trying to addict you. Mm-hmm. And the thing about the social the social dilemma that I didn't agree with is like not not just social media is trying to addict you. Don't get no. don't come at me like you have the monopoly on addicting people to things. No. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, everybody's trying to, you know, sugar is addicting, mm-hmm. uh, fast food is addicting. So, you know, commercial and from a commercial sense, all the wrong things are addicting unless you become addicted to like running marathons or, you know. Even that can be unhealthy. Even that can be unhealthy, right? <laughs> Your knees ain't going <laughs> to. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm not sure where I was going with all that, but I do I, I do think that we're in a world where and if, if you can, oh, the thing you most people have to overcome to be a productive person in society is shirking off or at least having a healthy relationship with the things that mean to addict us. Yeah. You know? And that's food and that's, that's television and that's social media because the more you spend eating, consuming any of those products, whether they're media or not, the more that you mean to those companies, you know? Yeah. And and yep. that's why you you probably haven't heard much about this program. We've started calling ourselves a cult because I feel well. Number one, cults get a bad name. <laughs> yep. You know what I'm saying? Like, yep. so you get a bad name. But also, cults there needs to be a cult of people that are free thinking and not trying to addict each other to yeah. uh, a certain a certain way of approaching the world. So we're we're a cult. We're a free thinking cult. I like it. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater. But you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater. Okay. At twc.health slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. 
It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. One thing I would like to do before we wrap this up at some point is talk, like flip this whole thing on its head and talk about some of the positive sides of, of course, everything yeah. we do on social media. And one of those being the Stamp It Forward project again this year and how... We're, wait, we're going to get to that. Before, oh, okay, sorry. There's two things I want to talk about with you. Okay. And we got way off subject. Yeah. <laughs> First, we're going we're gonna to end with Stamp It Forward. Because okay. I think, I'll start by saying I think Stamp It Forward is the coolest thing anyone's done in the industry for... About five years, uh, maybe ten. Second, um, snacks. Now, snacks. Yeah, uh, we're not going to get to the, the stand before until we get the snacks. That's okay. Or, order of you know order of importance. Yep. yep. Did you? Because you have. If people don't know, Sam has pioneered. I mean, really, the the Teddy Roosevelt of snacking. Yeah. In the tree stand, I feel. I mean, I appreciate uh, that. That's a big title. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. That's you know I'm right about that. As did you discover anything new this year for snacking, or or well, do you it, feel? Oh yeah, no. Uh, you know it's it's tough. So the the level of of snacking that I do when I do it right, like it takes time and thought and preparation. Mm-hmm. Just like so social media. A, yeah, I have a lot more ideas for different snacks, and I I meant to get there this year. I was going to do like several days of just elaborate snacks that involve, you know, maybe one, maybe two, maybe three Yeti bottles that like, you know, combine stuff. But a lot of weight. Um, this year I, uh, I did hot apple pie in one bottle mm-hmm. and then ice cream in the other bottle. Mm-hmm. And I brought two screw in <laughs> cup holders to the, for the tree. Um, and then ate it while I was about 20 feet up in a tree. Um, and it was amazing. The best part about that is I dropped a piece of ice cream on the ground while I was scooping it into my gullet, and I had two raccoons come up and eat the <laughs> eat, eat the ice cream at the base of my tree. <laughs> well, that's a way to attract wildlife if you're bored in the tree stand. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I suppose I could get is that baiting? You know, excited for baiting? Yeah, is that baiting? <laughs> um, but no, I've got a lot of ideas. You know, like it started. Let me uh, let me stop you quickly. Okay, did you sorry. eat? Did you go in to eat one piece of pie and then go in and get ice cream no, and put no, it no. in your mouth and chew it together? Yeah. Well, so I would do same spoon, which was actually a bottle opener I found in my truck because I forgot to grab a utensil. But pie, then ice cream on top of it, then eat. Yeah, pie, ice cream on top, same spoon. Yep. Same spoon. Okay. I was yep. picturing you had like somehow two bottles and you were like double dipping. Oh, I had, no, I had two bottles. 
Right, but you were... <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. It's on It's on the page. Just go take a look. I'm trying to visualize. <laughs> At same soul, you'll see what that's going yeah. on. Okay, continue yeah. with your other innovations. So the it started in 2017. The first s- bottle snack that I took was pizza rolls in a Yeti bottle. Mm-hmm. Were they Totino's and pizza rolls? Totino's, yeah. Not a, not a sponsor, but if you no, guys are looking I, for... I would love for them to be one. Oh, yes. um, but yeah, pizza rolls. And then the next year I did biscuits and gravy. Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, yeah. And then this year with the apple pie and ice cream, it's really. If only know. like Yeti would make, if you could call them up and they would make like shapes for what you needed. <laughs> yeah. The problem is, um, so <laughs> I'm probably going to get in trouble from Yeti's lawyers, but you really don't want to. They, they told me you don't want to put hot food, or at least yeah. the lawyer said Don't that trust. you don't want to put hot food in the bottles because if you forgot it, it could ferment and rot and cause uh, like an explosive problem yeah. if you leave the food in the bottle. Yeah, it definitely does because it, yeah, it creates like uh, some pressure and then exploding yeah. pizza. But you like you would have, if they had like a 10-inch pizza Yeti, Ooh, yeah. that would open up yeah, and then go back down and then yep. you would, you could just, you know strap the pizza in so it didn't flip over yeah that'd be great okay mark that down brian barksdale yeah. is one of the yeti's main lawyer guy <laughs> tell him to get on that <laughs> yeah brian if you're listening <laughs> get on that buddy we need this we need yeah. this we need but this no i've me. uh you know i pro what i probably need to do is uh find you know do like a week at the end of october when it's not like the full rut where i'm not like getting up as quite as early and um, where I have a slightly more time to like prepare the snacks because I've got a a whole list of ideas put together for uh, for this whole thing. So good, good. Well, so yeah, yeah. Don't the hashtag is never go snackless. <laughs> it's again. I mean, you could be. I I'd be. Maybe I'm like the Gifford Pinchot of of uh, snacks, but you're definitely Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> definitely. Um. All right. Sna- snap it forward. Yep. You know, is that like, hmm, I'll answer it this way. Is there any other a conservation program like Stamp It Forward? Not that I know of. The answer is no, absolutely not. Everyone yeah. else is behind the curve. That's the answer <laughs> that, you, that I'll give on your behalf. Yeah, I appreciate some, that. Yeah. There's hundreds of millions of dollars and really smart people coming up with, you know, that are getting paid to come up with good ideas for conservation, yet you are three doesn't hold a candle to stamp it forward. <laughs> and so uh, go ahead, just tell everybody what the update is on Stamp It Forward and give them a quick rundown in case they don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, so Stamp It Forward is a way to kind of turn one fundraiser into another. But the way it works is we ask people and companies to directly donate money to us um, via, you know, whatever, if they want to write a check or PayPal or Venmo or whatever. But with every single dollar we receive, we buy federal duck stamps. And so, you know, this year, um, last year we did just over a thousand stamps, raised $25,000. And this year we're, uh, we had a couple donations come in the last few days actually. Um, and so we're at like 1,570 stamps total. And so, uh, right up there. Let's back off a second. Like let people know how amazing this is. People are just giving you money. You're not giving them anything in return. Not, nope. So the the donation is just that. It is a direct shot to conservation. Um, we don't keep the money. We buy stamps with it. We're not, we don't, uh, if people 
do a donation through the website, we are giving them a Stamp It Forward sticker as like a commemoration for their donation. And so we eat the, you know, we eat the cost on the shipping and the sticker um, as a way for them to feel, or like just to give them something to commemorate their donation. But yeah, other right. than that, we're, we're not giving anything in return for that initial donation. And then once we pool up, it's we typically run the initial launch for two or three weeks where we're trying to raise as much money as possible. And then we always do the initial upfront buy. So this year we bought, we took money out of our conservation fund and we bought 200 duck stamps up front, so $5,000. And then since then we have raised um, basically another $35,000 this year that has come in um, to buy duck stamps. And then what we do on the back end is we give a federal duck stamp away with every single item we sell on our website. And what that does is $5 from every item we sell goes back to conservation anyway. So we just continue to roll that into the program and raise additional funds for the whole thing. So we're right in that $40,000 range this year for simp just for duck stamps. Yeah. And so you're thinking about like the idea of the duck stamp itself, you are paying money. Now this, now let's just, Get this one clear. The duck stamp is a requirement to hunt waterfowl. Yes. Um, so it's a requirement, but that money goes back into the resource and the habitat and wildlife refuges across the country in many different ways. Yep. So th that's the that's the spirit of the of the duck stamp anyway. But most people are getting something when they give, right? They they give twenty five yep. bucks. They get a stamp. They get the privilege of hunting waterfowl. Right. You know, whether it's a state or federal stamp, mostly federal stamp in this case. Yep. Um, so we have you have that set up, but in and in, in what what you've done is raise awareness and convince people just to give money to give a stranger a duck stamp. Right. And hope uh, hope to educate them on this this idea that this happens in hunting. Yep. Just by the mechanism of doing it, you are you are taking part in and giving something back just by by duck hunting yourself. Yep. And uh, for anybody that doesn't know, so if, if you're a waterfowler, you have to purchase a stamp, but you mm -hmm. don't have to be a waterfowler to get a stamp. That's so true. anyone can buy one. And 98% of the purchase price go is by law has to be funneled into wetland purchase, conservation easements, habitat improvement. And not only does that help migratory bird species, but it's good for soil erosion, flooding, water quality, air quality, um, and helps 700 species overall um, through con conserving wetlands. So yeah. it's also a big part of the reason that we have a national refuge system and the stamp itself is on the refuges that require a, like a, a pass to get in. The duck stamp allows you to go visit the national wildlife. Refuges. Yeah, it's a pass. Like how many people have, have paid to get into the thing and while in their pocket was a free pass? Mm -hmm. You know, and you think of like 99 cents of every duck stamp goes directly into something they call the Migratory Bird Conservation Fund, right? And that that's going to help them purchase or lease spots where waterfowl live, wetlands, right. wildlife habitat, and then that, that stuff goes into the national refuge system, and then we get to access those things and, and see what prime habitat is and, and oftentimes hunt and, and recreate in those areas, man. And then... Mm -hmm. This has been going on. Correct me, you you probably know more like the actual numbers here. This is an, it's a 1934 program. It was Franklin D. Roosevelt. It was originally called. I should pull this up. Jamie, pull this up. Uh, <laughs> this this all the top of my head, so I might get some of it wrong. Migratory Bird Hunting Stamp Act. 
translated to the Duck Stamp Act. Yep. Um, in 1934, President Roosevelt, you know, just like everything else during that time, it was a time of reformation. And the, the habitat, waterfowl species were being killed at market and their habitat was being destroyed across the country. Yep. And um, a, a big part of the reason that they did it was not solely to protect waterfowl. And although the market hunting, like the, you know, that was a big chunk of it. It was also, um, in the, in North America, birds in general were being killed at mass to collect feathers for decorative hats and, um, and apparel basically. And so it was a way to protect, yes, you know, migratory birds, but everything else at the same time. Yeah. And there's stamp collectors and there's Mm -hmm. art, there's people that compete each year to get, uh, there's, uh, man, what's that? Million Dollar Duck is a documentary. Yep. If you want to learn about how people compete to get their art um, on there, that's another cultural thing about the duck stamps. It's interesting. Yeah. It's been it's been really cool, you know, through this whole program. Like, have actually got to know some of the artists. Um, there's yeah. a one artist. She was actually the junior duck stamp junior duck stamp winner a few years back. Uh, Rebecca Knight is her name. Amazing artist. So she's been. We, it's been cool. She's been sending messages about the program and promoting it. Um, got to have a you know, recorded message from the winner of last year's stamp. Um, my wife's uh, grad school roommate, her uncles are the most winningest duck stamp artists in history, the Houtmans. Yeah, they are. Um, in, yeah, they're so, in that documentary as well. Yeah, and so it's just yeah. been really cool to kind of have all these things happen from doing this program and raising money for for the program. Um, yeah, yeah, it's been it's been cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. If you would, you know, if you would go to purchase your license to get a duck stamp, and I'll have you tell people, you know, where they can buy duck stamps and things mm-hmm. like that. Since you may be the foremost uh, expert in where to buy duck stamps at this point, yep. um, <laughs> you know, this is. I actually pulled up the the field, the gov site on this and get some real numbers. I wasn't wrong about some of those other numbers I said, so I'm glad I have that. <laughs> I was right about that. So they say uh, since the 1934, 800 million dollars has gone into the fund protect more than 5.7 million acres of habitat yep and how many people along the way hunters in our community purchased a stamp helped fund that land acquisition and protection without even knowing they were doing it they put money towards one of the most successful conservation programs in our country without even knowing they were doing it Mm -hmm. that's a beautiful crime that they did not know that (laughs) I'm glad yeah. that they made those purchases and I'm glad yeah. that all of the reasons they went hunting were sufficient enough to get them to put 25 bucks down to, to go and participate. But you know, what we were talking about in the beginning of this show is exactly the, like this is the, this, this thing that Sam's doing is like the promotion of the parallel knowledge track that you have to go on to justify this money that we are required to spend to go and take part in this, right. In this, uh, pursuit. So it's, yeah. it's a, it's a wonderful circle and, you know, something like this ensures that how many ever people even hear about it kind of can complete that circle in their own minds and, and yep. know a little bit more. So I'm sure you, I'm sure you've had lots of people reach out and tell you exactly that. I'm sure. Yeah, it's been it's been really cool. Um, just how many people that have learned about the program just have been like beyond fired up about the fact that we're doing it. And what's been really fun this year is so we added last year um, we didn't have it on the website a way to donate. And we added that to the website this year. And what we've seen people do is they'll go to our website and they know they're going to get a stamp with a shirt or a hoodie or a hat or whatever that they order. Um, But they'll buy a donation 
and a shirt. And so it's like, they're like, oh, I'm going to, I'll double down, like I'll buy, I'll make a donation. So the next guy can also get a stamp. And the more that that happens, the more we can keep giving out and the more money we raise and the more people get to pay it forward. Keep on keeping on. Yeah. That's the pay yep. it forward. I mean, there's other things now I'm reading this website that's, you know, they have the junior duck stamp program mm -hmm. um, in which uh, youngsters get to go and try to design or, or draw a duck stamp themselves. There's state level competitions. Um, there's, there's so many things. And I've actually talked to Suzanne fellows over there who runs the federal programs and is a big part of this. And we, at some point are going to have her on the show. We may have to crank that back up, but mm -hmm. there's so many things, obviously with all these conservation programs, you know, we're able to tout kind of Pittman Robertson is a good example of, Oh, we touting what comes from these funds or where these funds go. Yep. But once they get into the government and get into those systems, there's a lot of things that happen. And there's a lot of people whose jobs are to propagate and promote and make sure these things run smoothly. Yep. Um, and and it's just another example of how all this marries up into something, you know, bigger than all of us um, and something we ought to protect and fight to protect. So, Yep, absolutely. Uh, well, I think we're all glad. And look, I probably said this before about what you do, but... Um, I mean, there's conservation groups, not to name any that there's, they, they employ dozens of people, hundreds of people. <laughs> they, they have, they'd be wanting to have an impact like you've had just with you and your brother and trying to do what you've done with public land tees and across the board. So I think it's a, you know, a substantial impact on, on our generation, you know, like you and I are same, pretty much the same age and known each other for a while and we'll, I'm sure we'll be talking about this and hunting together hopefully till we're old dudes and looking back I remember when <laughs> yep I look at, forward to at that. some point when we're not hiking so far away from the truck all the time yeah we'll, hopefully yeah. hopefully we're still hunting together at that point our kids will be like the packing deer out for yep, us that's while right we're, yeah we're yep. like I remember <laughs> white claw dad what's white claw <laughs> I'm already six white claws in uh <laughs> Well, good, man. What can people do? You know, obviously we've talked about it, but give people the direct things they can do for Stamp It For, because again, I mean, this is a, you know, it's the holidays coming up here. So, you know, yeah. This, this so, uh, at, yeah, at this point in time, you know, like people can, we're still accepting donations um, if people want, but it's, you know, it's towards the end of the year. So I understand starting to wind down a little bit, but we've got big plans for 2021. But if people still want to donate, they can donate directly on the website, which is publiclandtees.com or uh, PayPal, which is publiclandtees at gmail.com, or my Venmo, which is just at Sam Soholt. Um, and uh, can, we have a whole page dedicated to the Stamp It Forward project on our website. People can learn more about that, which is publiclandtees forward slash Boom. or .com forward slash Stamp It Forward. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, if, if, uh, if people really want to help, they can donate or just go to our website, pick up a shirt, a hoodie, a hat, and you're going to get a free duck stamp with every item and then just give that to somebody or you know you can certainly use it to go hunting but you probably at this point in the season you might already have one give it to somebody explain what it means explain where that money goes and educate somebody else on how important these programs are because the more people that are out there doing that like we can just continue to have this spread and grow this idea that what we're doing is it's all really beneficial to everyone yeah and then, you know, always in times, in divided times, in times where we're supposed to not get along based on our color of our skin or where we live or 
with who we voted for, uh, a tiny little stamp with a duck on it can can help you out. That's can right. help you yeah. have a common find common ground with folks. Yeah, so. just a little bit of a conservation bridge right there. Yeah, <laughs> a real, a very needed bridge. Um, yes, and yeah. a, a and a good bad thing. And I would just say this: we do one thing that would have been cool with you, maybe in the in the future, Sam, to do because you know you do a lot of you do all this stuff on your own. You're an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people that write into our show and say, mm-hmm. I, you know, I've got a journalism degree, or I've got a communications degree or i'm super passionate about hunting and i want to start this or that here's an idea that i have um you know don't you don't all have to message sam for advice but just watch what he does um because it's like what can one guy in a venmo account and an idea pull off (laughs) it's uh, you know surprisingly it's amazing how how well this all took off um and so just super thankful that everybody was willing to get on board with it but yeah, I mean, I think best advice, sure. Be, be, definitely send me a message. I try to do my best to respond to absolutely everybody that reaches out to me. Which uh, it's, I know it, for it's a fact, the, he he sends American flag emojis to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just three rock ons, you know. Yeah, yep. um, but no, yeah. Send me a message if you have ideas or questions or whatever. But if you if you really have an idea and you're really if if you're passionate about something you can send me a message and I'll give you this, you know, give you an answer of what I think, but like it all comes down to just try to do that idea. I mean, you can't, you just have to go for it. Um, if you want to try to make something happen, that's the best advice I can give. And it's yeah. terrifying, um, to do that. And I, I know, but it's, uh, in either you'll fall flat on your face <laughs> and then you can do the next thing or it'll work out swimmingly. So well, that's just the good thing about the hunting community is it's big enough to support you and small enough to care. <laughs> Like it, that's you know, that's it's, right. It's a nice yep. blend yep. of there's enough people that will come along, right? There's enough people that will come along to to make it worth your while, but it's not so big that you'll never get any traction, you know. Yeah. Um, you're yeah. not. So that's a, it's a good place to be. So, well, Sam, uh I'm going to I need to get a refill of Modelo and continue yep. my happy hour, but uh I'm going to let you go. What's your next? You got any duck hunts coming up here? I actually got a, a pheasant hunt coming up next week. Um I get to go back to where I was born. I get to go back to Aberdeen, South Dakota, and oh, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm doing a hunt with the Aberdeen Pheasant Coalition, and they do a pretty cool thing where they um, say there's a, a farmer that is contemplating putting his land into a walk-in hunting area. Well, the Aberdeen Pheasant Coalition has gone to companies within the, the community and asked for donations um, to put into a pot, and then they'll go to those farmers and say, hey, if you put your land into walk-in, we'll sweeten the pot with an extra two, three, four bucks an acre. And it's just enough to push those people over the top. And it brings more hunters to the community and more money into the system. And last year was the first year they did it. And they opened up 4,000 acres of public uh, for pheasant hunting last year. So it's a pretty cool program. So we're going to go chase public land roosters around for a few days. And and, uh, that's the next trip. And then I think after that, uh, the next big trip is going to be... January, Arizona coos deer. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing no, with that. not at all. I'm sorry. I've had to cancel a few trips because the old COVID's here, but I'm starting to yep. think about coos deer as like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Something I might have to get into. So. Absolutely. All right, dude. Well, thank you for everything as always. And check Sam out on at Sam Soholt and be inspired to do something cool. Bastards. Thanks for having me on, man. I really yeah, appreciate it. Thanks as always. All right, brother. 
That's it. That's all. Another episode in the books. Thank you to Ford of the Van Fossen of the Maryland Van Fossens. And thank you to Sam Soholt of the Public Land Bus and of the Stamp It Forward Project. Uh, make sure you go and follow him as we were just talking about at Sam Soholt. One of the best in the industry to do it. So you're going to see a lot of cool shit over there. And thank you to Luke and Lisa Reeves for being a part of the program, part of the cult, and getting married. Congratulations once again as we get into the holiday season. I'm still feeling very warm about all the activities around the the, uh, THC cult. Phil, you feeling good over there, bud? Yes, I am. I I, I love this time of year. uh, Our house is all decked out. Got tree. Got presents under the tree. There's garland everywhere. Oh, yeah. There's... There I got I got several different candles just for this season. Oh. All right. Oh yeah. I won't uh-huh. ask. We'll wait till our Christmas episode to talk about that. Um, oh, okay. We don't want to we don't want to blow that a little suspense never hurt anybody. Uh, <laughs> you mean what candles does Phil have in his house? Wow, that's gonna be a great segment. Right into TACTomedia.com. What scented candles does Phil have in his house? What do you think? Um a lot a lot but a lot going on in the future here. I'm working on the best of twenty twenty right now. Um I feel like that's a bit of an ironic term anyway, because what is the best of a shitty year? But man, we got a lot of really cool stuff that we did this year. A lot of fun was had. Barry Gilbert was hugged. A lot of warmth in our hearts this holiday season. But before we go, we're going to give you guys a little back end, not so sharp moment. Play the jingle, Phil. Work sharp, not so sharp moments. Sharp so you don't have to be. Season two. Yeah. All right, this one comes from Eric Glaze. And Eric Glaze says, he says, Tonight, as I finished tidying up the house and completing a few odd projects, I went out to the shop to retrieve a string trimmer and some parts that a friend had asked to borrow. I flipped on the lights and began gathering things up. This, this seems like a night before Christmas. This seems like a poem that he's written for us was the night before but we don't know what yet yeah i just yeah let me wait wake me up when the dancing sugar plums come in that's right the small eight point buck that i had shot at the beginning of last week had been aging hanging neck down in the garage noticing that the neighbor's dog must have gotten loose and been gnawing on the neck i had hoisted it higher toward the rafters earlier in the week the head was perched upright in a five gallon bucket nearby with the neck side dangling inside the bucket. So you need to picture this, Phil. He has cut the head off the deer, yep. put it in a bucket, and its body hung from the rafters. Yeah. Got it. Like a, like, like a stocking by the chimney with care. With care. Yep. I grabbed the trimmer from off the wall and noticed the antlers move. I shook my head and rubbed my eyes and stared. Nothing. I looked back down at the trimmer. Then the antlers and long sunken eyes turned, seemingly to stare directly at me. (laughs) I wasn't crazy, or was I? I watched as the antlers slowly rocked back and forth and heard the gentle scratching in the bucket. I watched for a minute or two until I realized that a cat must have snuck in for a little snack. Black tail, coarse hair, too coarse. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. For the next half hour or so, I tried to coax a skunk out of the bucket 
and out of the shop that housed a pile of prime 12-day-age venison, an ATV, tractors, tools, bikes, my bow, everything important to me. I threw rocks and tossed chunks of scrap wood toward a large metal garbage can in the shop, hoping to draw him into my spotlight and into the reach of my 12-gauge. Several times he emerged from the bucket to check on the commotion, but he remained near his claim. Finally, I gave up, realized that he was unlikely to step into a clear path for me to shoot him without spooking him into spraying. I slowly and quietly grabbed the items I had previously dropped and looked back to the house. I had one more little piece to grab, and I killed the lights, which was a stingy and ultimately foolish move. What happens next, Phil? It didn't go great. Not a shock, because this is not so short moments. It never goes great. The oh-so-familiar stank stung my nostrils as a pang of defeat stung my pride. He raised his tail, and I tucked mine and retreated, as I should have in the beginning. I had been sprayed. At this point is when I thought, rest in peace to Grecho Barks, the blackmouth cur that patrolled these parts for the last seven years. <laughs> Grecho Barks is the best dog name ever in the history of dog names. Uh, rest in peace, Gretchen Barks. Anyway, he said she would have never let this stand. She averaged about three to four skunkings a year right up until she had to be put down this fall. Needless to say, we had several quarts of peroxide and boxes of baking soda on hand. Missing my dog and even missing our frequent de-skunking dates, usually after midnight and well below freezing, as I try to explain why you don't mess with skunk. Damage control and assessment time tomorrow morning to see how my deer fared time to sleep off this not so sharp moment play the jingle phil work sharp not so sharp moments sharp so you don't have to be season two yeah thank you eric glaze but that was a that was a great one it really was like twas the night before the skunking yeah that was that was good at first i thought if it was going to be a a ghost story we're talking about those those antlers moving around. I was like, oh, the oh tense no. moment. The animal's the coming moment. back to life to seek revenge. Um, the tense moment. Yes. Yeah, no. A couple months ago, our uh, our cat came back at two in the morning, um, covered covered in the stank. Uh, to make I'm gonna it. guess meatloaf because Kevin would never do that, such a thing. Wow, you 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 know my cat so well, and you've never met them. You're right. It was meatloaf who is incredibly long haired, which made the ordeal of course even more fun uh but it's it's a lot of fun to to make those like 2 a.m walmart trips and, and to get by like some peroxide um anyway uh condolences um that's that sounds like a sounds like a rough a rough night rest in peace Gre- grecho barks grecho barks <laughs> is the best just the best rest in peace uh to that black mouth cur well eric you are going to get yourself a WorkSharp Field Sharpener from our friends at WorkSharp. Thank you for sponsoring this here program. Please support our sponsors. And go do some commerce with them. Go follow them. Go watch their content. It really helps this show out and keeps us going into the future. And there's a little video of yours truly over there sharpening knives on their YouTube page currently. So if you want to be, you know, I know I'm, I'm much better in the audio medium, I know. But if you want to see me sharpening a knife in my garage, have at it. I'm sure it'll be exciting. At some level, uh, Eric 
enjoy that field sharpener, man. And, and uh, watch out for zombie deer. Rest in peace, Gretcho Barks. All right, we will see you next week here on the Hunting Collective. Say bye, Phil. Goodbye. Too long, cause I can't go a week without doing wrong. Oh, without doing You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.